mini episode 1156 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode number 1156. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here. Bringing back together one of our favorite combos on the show here, a couple of entertainment journalists who we have been pairing up on the show, I, I believe, for nine years now. It's, uh, it's either eight years or nine years. I believe it's nine. Maybe it's even ten. Who knows? But it's right around a decade. Uh, Simon Applebaum and Lloyd Carroll, both from the New York area here. And, of course, Simon Applebaum, you can check out uh, all of his works. Of course, uh, the Tomorrow Will Be Televised franchise uh, he has the columns as well as the podcasts for that, and uh, you can check him out, of course, at MediaVillage.com. That is a hub for a lot of his coverage there, and uh, one, one of many uh, for a, uh, a great TV and technology journalist. Uh, Simon, a pleasure to have you on, as always, my friend. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, Ricky, it's always a pleasure. I wish we did this more than once or twice a year because uh, things in the TV industry uh, and TV overall, what we're watching is just incredible. Uh, we really are in a very unique transformational time. We certainly are, and uh, it's always great to be able to trace that with you. And also, with another beloved FDH Lounge dignitary, we have two here today, uh, Lloyd Carroll from Queen's Chronicle, and uh, once again, uh, many other fine uh, publications as well, uh, both of these gentlemen uh, are very busy and prolific individuals, uh, and uh, of course Lloyd touching upon entertainment as well as sports and other topics as well. Lloyd, always good to get you back in here, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us today. Rick, I'm glad to be beloved and glad to be working with Simon again. <laughs> You don't have to act so surprised. Lloyd, you are a beloved individual. But Yeah. Well, well, you know, and maybe not the PR person for uh, Ed Davis, but, uh, you know, aside from that, you know, aside from some of the press conference annex, a beloved individual. I, I don't even have to put a qualification on that. And, uh... It's great to get uh, both of you back in here talking about the fall TV season. And we are about uh, two weeks into it as we speak. And so we've been through one set of ratings books as far as how things played out for the week. And just want to get some thoughts, generally speaking, from both of you. Some interesting debuts thus far on some of the networks. Uh, CBS with a couple of the sitcoms that they have. I'm a big Walton Goggins fan, so I checked out. The Unicorn, and uh, again, and I'm not one to generally watch much in the way of network TV, much less sitcoms, but uh, I'll start with you, Simon. Thoughts on what we've seen thus far early in the TV season, shows that look like they're going to stick around, and shows that look like they're in trouble already? Well, you know what, Rick, this is a very unique situation, because I think for the first time in television history, the broadcast network that's serving off this fall is not the story. Here's what the story and the story that I think is going to not only dictate how things go this season, 
but also how things go the next decade, which is the smart TV set and the smart TV device. TV sets made by the likes of Samsung and Vizio and LG and Panasonic and devices like Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, uh, Roku, Apple TV, etc., etc., etc. And uh, let's set the stage with a couple of facts. Right now, 75 to 80% of all U.S. households have these products. They are watching upwards of 10 billion, in billion, that's billion, hours a year, uh, I'm sorry, hours a month, that's hours a month, 10 billion plus of content and apps. They are also more and more getting these sets of products with the ability to control the set with their voice through features powered by artificial intelligence, like Google uh, System, uh, Siri, Alexa, Cortina, and something. This is how they're watching Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and CBS All Access, as well as a variety of other networks that come on the air in the last two years that use these products as not either their only way to get to the viewer, but their uh, main way to get to the viewer. Whether it's referee, the networking, the game lesbian viewers, whether it is passion books all about romance novels, the stage network all about theater, uh, Blueprint, which is NBC Universal, uh, all about craft. Uh, more recently, uh, HBCU Gateway, which is the first uh, television service aimed at and featuring historically black college university sports and culture, and on and on and on. Many of these networks, by the way, are owned by independents and not owned by the major production players and, and key media players. Um, and because of this, we are seeing uh, not only the biggest explosion of virtual programming out there, but we're also seeing the finally the era of interactive television happening. So you launched a couple of weeks ago of Apple Arcade, where you can play upwards of 100 video games at five bucks a month, play them on your TV set without having to use a Sony PlayStation or an Xbox. Uh, later on this month, we're going to see Food Network Kitchen, the ability to take part in interactive cooking classes, get a whole library of cake cooking classes, a library uh, about 800 hours of Food Network programming, and the ability to call up recipes and stuff like the fashion for your TV set using Alexa, like you have Amazon Fire TV, as well as the ability to order uh, food and ingredients and have them delivered to your home or apartment. Uh, this is how people are going to see Apple TV Plus, which launches on November 1st, Disney Plus November 12th, HBO Max for more media early in 2020, in April, Peacock for Mix Universal, and who knows who else is going to come on down the pipe. Uh, these types of products, which has been the greatest part of the American public, despite the lack of journalism about them, the lack of interest in TV conferences and advertising conferences, the lack of notes by CES and by other consumer electronics events, uh, and even the lack of their own organization showcasing what they do and showcasing uh, these products. Uh, like, for example, Samsung a couple weeks ago at the Barclays Center here in, Bro uh, in Brooklyn, where they had a lot of stuff like Galaxy phones and laptops, but nothing about their smart TV sets. Uh, this is what is driving television, and this is what is going to, I think, make this decent medical. It's not going to be television, it's going to be what Netflix and Hulu and CBS uh, and these new super services uh, that they deliver in the month ahead. Well, you are far too modest to connect the dots, uh, Simon, so I will do that for you. And uh, were it not for individuals like yourself pointing these things out, I don't think anybody would be. There, There is such a paucity of commentary on these subjects here and uh, again fortunately uh, we have you on the show here to be able to do that and bring that uh, point of view forward so I commend you and, for that. And uh, Rick, mm -hmm. and Rick is right and what's really amazing about this phenomenon and this is a phenomenon is that the American public is embracing this. It's not just one sector of the public. It is women, it is people of color, women of color, 
something like that I am very very happy that you are the unflappable individual who can be who cannot be rattled because uh, a tough act to follow with Simon's opening statement but if anybody's up to it Lloyd that would be you well I can't disagree with Simon but there's still something special about the uh, I guess the front store storefront window that broadcast television there's still something special it's funny I was having this conversation with uh, my uh, colleague of the Queen's Chronicle Dave Russell and we're saying, you know, there's still something special about those letters, NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox. You know, maybe again, being a baby boomer, that kind of is what you grow up with. But he's younger than I am. He's half my age. And even he acknowledges that there's still something special at broadcast television. And I guess the reason we're here this week, and that is talk about the new shows that are on broadcast television. True. And uh, again, it's it's the traditional broadcast season, of course, you know, fall through the spring as we've done over a period of time and uh, Simon I think we talked about this maybe the last time you were on maybe the time before but it was one of these times here was fairly recent because we did some turn of the decade coverage 10 years ago and now uh, we'll probably do some similar things this time around as well so when we were looking ahead to the 2010s it was a thing where and again it's not that there haven't been tremendous advancements over the course of time but I'm somebody who, maybe it's my Jetsons mentality, I, I thought we'd be further along than we are now. There was a lot of heady talk 10 years ago about the convergence of TV and Internet and that, uh, you know, the, that w one platform basically won't be regarded as being above the other one. And, and yet the focus of your opening statement here tonight was about how much we are overlooking the non-traditional parts of TV. Me being 10 years ago, again, maybe it was naive of me, but I thought it would be more of an even footing here towards the end of the decade. I believe the last time we talked about this, uh, you indicated that your notion was different and, and that uh, it, it essentially hasn't failed to live up to what you thought it would be 10 years ago. So it's an interesting uh, you know, change in perspectives, I guess, between me and you on that. Yeah, I think there's a number of things. First of all, uh, for smart TV sets of devices to be doing what they're doing just five or six years into their existence, and again, without much coverage, and not even uh, education on the part of these companies, whether it's Samsung or Google or Amazon, uh, with some exception, it's really it's phenomenal. It's really, we've never seen anything like this. Secondly, uh, Netflix and 
go to an Amazon, I need to think of getting the bugs with the following. Um, Netflix program, Stranger Things, The Dark Crystal, uh, the new Ryan Murphy series, The Politician. Um, that's what's really is either these programs are drawing the buzz or uh, some of the cable networks are drawing buzz. Uh, we just had the premiere by FX, the most wonderful new series called Godfather of Harlem with Boris Richter as the star executive producer. I, have to, I can't see the premiere episode at the Tribeca TV Festival last month. And it's a tremendous show. John Ridley did the first episode. Uh, he directed the first episode. He did a fantastic job. With this performance, I think, we'll, I think we'll be able to come next anytime. Um, we're seeing some of the, uh, the what's interesting is the broadcast works so far. I don't think that anything's really standing out yet. And I think what's happened the last couple of seasons is that the broadcast networks will put one, two, three series on. They won't put all the shows that they've, uh, that they've realized for the season up the first the way they used to. They'll put on a couple shows in the fall and then hold on to the better material uh, in the winter or in the spring. Um, right now, I think there may be one show that may be breaking loose on the broadcast network. That's Particle Sun on Monday night at 911 on Fox. To be, uh, uh, to, uh, be uh, clear, I did have the producers on the show. Uh, it's a very interesting program. One possibility for CBS is equal. The new series is Michelle and Robert King. And so far, ABC, they have a hit in Stumptown, which they've been promoting incessantly throughout the summer. Uh, but there's, what we don't know yet, I don't think it's a breakout hit the way you have seen them in, in the past. But what is getting a lot of buzz is shows like Godfather of Hall on Ethics. David A. Flynn, the brilliant new series on Iron, Oak Lake Network, from Latrell, Alan McClady, the Oscar co-writer for Moonlight, magnificent new show, I was doing my sense that for the top five new shows of the year, a lot of stuff on Netflix, a lot of stuff on Hulu, the missing shows on Amazon, CBS All Access, I think it's not the missing work this year, and some of these, they said, cable networks like Oak Lake Network, like Ethics, uh, which I thought had a very good summer with Perpetual Grace Lincoln and with Payworth, the uh, Alfred, the father when he was younger, working as a spy. Uh, they read up well. And, uh, and I think if the broadcast networks are going to have some big stuff, I think you'll see it later this summer. Very interesting. And uh, again, Lloyd, how do you look at something like this? When you're, when you're looking at the way that these things have changed over the course of the decade, uh, you're, you're like me more so than, than Simon in that you and I don't really cover these issues necessarily as close as he does. So do you sort of share my point of view that like at the start of the decade, I, I might have thought that there might have been more integration of TV and uh, Internet than there's been? Or uh, has it basically lived up to your expectations as far as where we would be heading into 2020? You, you know, you raise an interesting point, Rick. I mean, before we had these, you know, at the turn of the decade, we were about streaming services in 2010. Right? So I think that's kind of been a separate animal. Uh, it, it's funny, it's like certain things never took off before the technology was there. Uh, I remember in 1970 that the idea that you could see somebody who you were having a telephone conversation with. Well, it turned out people just didn't want to be seen in their skivvies or whatnot. Yeah. And that thing never, it never happened. Right. And I'm wondering if the same thing is true that we almost say, okay, we want our computer, our internet to be a certain thing, yet when we go to our screen devices, it's a different thing. We just don't think that way. And that's, again, I'm, I'm an amateur in this area, but uh, just give me kind of a layman's gut feel on it. That's, yeah, I, also, I, I agree. Rick, mm -hmm. uh, well, what I think has been a big, big, big turning point is artificial intelligence being put into these devices where you can control the set with your voice. 
through a process like Alexa or Google Assistant, as opposed to them being the devices that are apart from the TV set or apart from uh, Amazon Fire TV or a Roku, they are built into the product. And that, I think, has really triggered this new wave of interactivity. And it isn't a year ago we did a show, uh, the question would be, are we ever going to see interactive TV in our lifetime? Now the question is, how fast and how far? And given the fact we now have Apple, in the last couple of weeks, the launch of Apple Arcade, the upcoming launch of Food Network Interactive by the end of this month, um, Netflix already putting an interactive, untwisted series on the end of spring, and you versus wild, getting 26 million views uh, in the space of a few weeks. And then, of course, Bandersnatch, the Black Bear episode, which just won the Emmy Award for uh, Best Interactive Program, and that's made for TV movie. We go all day about whether that shit's on the made for TV movie category situation. That's been a big piece for me in like in recent years. But um, but the fact that all that has happened in a less than a year, I really think there's something said about interactive TV. I think this is now going to proceed. Now, we, don't forget, we're going to see interactive advertising uh, from Hulu and from other places. And one of the organizations we should also keep an eye on is Walmart, the nation's largest retailer, because they now have original programming on Google, which is a video on demand service, that is distributed on smart TV sets and devices. But they also have a major interest uh, an investment in Echo, which is an interactive platform currently on websites, currently in smartphones. It's owned by Samsung, by MGM, and by a number of venture capitalists. And the sense is, is that before the NP or Rubik, there was some interactive TV platform. And they could break loose. Again, live food network kitchens, they could break the interactive market wide open. Well, and that's what makes this one of the more interesting subjects, is that it's all in the eye of the beholder, because you are absolutely correct in identifying all of these cutting-edge things that are happening, and yet from my perspective, I sit here, and again, the fact that the overall landscape looks recognizable to me as we head into 2020, I didn't expect that to be the case 10 years ago, and I think I know why. I think I underestimated something, and I want to get the sense from both of you about this, because it's a critical part of how we transition into the future. I think in, in this world that I expected to see in this more seamless integration of TV and Internet and, and, and so many things being on demand, and it, it, you know, like this show won't be on at this time, it'll, it'll debut at this time, and you can download or watch it on demand anytime after that. I think I failed to understand the importance of the affiliates, the decentralized power structure of television across this country. And it's the affiliates, I think, that are responsible for the level of continuity that we're seeing as far as network TV goes. And I think that my previous sort of sense of TV and Internet becoming so much more integrated, that is something that would gravely undermine the affiliate structure that we have in this country. Have, have the last 10 years proven, Simon, that even with all the other things that are happening out here, that the affiliate structure in television is durable and, and, and will be in, in place going forward? Yes. However, it is, it is already transforming. What we were seeing, and there's a couple things that are happening. One, we're seeing station groups launching smart TV sets and smart TV devices as a way to produce more original quality and to develop a new revenue stream. Uh, the Rubicon stations now are by Gray, have investigated TV. Uh, Sinclair is a major player in multicast channels. Uh, they have a service called Spur, which uh, allows you to see local newscasts around the country, as well as a variety of other programming. Uh, Sinclair now has the deal with uh, the regional sports networks that they picked up from Disney when Disney uh, acquired Fox. Um, we're seeing um, 
uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, interest in, uh, in ATSC 3.0, which is going to allow more channels. We have the multicast channel movement, the multicast channel movement, where it's available on digital subcarriers and also on cable. So that's helped a lot. Um, so the, the, the local stations are getting more into content, and they're getting more into uh, into trying to do more things on the national level. Whether it's individual shows that have syndicated, or whether it is uh, all networks, uh, along with their content, or content they group together, that uh, they will um, that they will uh, market all over the place. Interesting. And uh, again, as, as I turn to you, Lloyd, again, you you and I, I think maybe have a little bit more of a a traditionalist perspective on on things here in, in terms of our understanding. So, what's your sense of this? And I know you're always in in, in any industry, uh, you know, sports included. I know you're always fascinated by the economics of things and how they work. So, in in terms of the affiliate structure in this country, which has traditionally been the thing that has supported the networks here, uh, is, is that what do you see for that going forward as far as the viability of the system? And as Simon alludes to some of the changes that they're making to sort of try to future proof themselves, which I think would be smart for anyone in any type of business. But when, you, when you're looking at the affiliates at potentially 10 and 20 years down the road, what, what are you seeing as far as their capacity to survive in a, in a rapidly changing environment? Well, you're certainly seeing a rapid consolidation. Uh, I mean, even it used, to, it used to be in small markets like Palm Springs, California, that one group would control the CBS affiliate, the NBC affiliate. They would actually shuffle their news person over. Now it's even in New York City where uh, the Channel 5 and 9, two of the old, to use an archaic terminology, VHF stations <laughs> basically do that. Well, I've been VHF and UHF in uh, 30 years. <laughs> but anyway, we get, we get the idea. Yeah. Um, but I still feel that, again, broadcast television that's distributed through these affiliates, it, that model is not going to become like Sears and Kmart. I get the feeling that it's going to last uh, for quite a while. And still, there's something special about broadcast television uh, that goes through that, that uh, again, I think it's our prejudice that go out to the Television Critics Association every year, and these are the people who put on the big shows, put on the big panels, and it just seems to be working. Now, again, I know it's Simon saying there are more choices than ever, but I'm beginning to feel it's like the old Yogi Berra line. <laughs> uh, it's so crowded, nobody goes there to eat anymore, and there's just so <laughs> many choices, I wonder who's watching all of them. That is an excellent point, and again, as somebody who, uh, in diagnosing myself, I think 10 years ago, underestimated the uh, the structure of the affiliates in this country. I'm not going to make that mistake again, so I believe both of you when you're talking about their capacity to move forward and uh, not be rendered obsolete by these changes. And uh, again, for as much as we're talking about the, the that we're, we're moving into a, a brand new model of, of, of TV here every year, more and more and more, so... Uh, all you have to do is look at the recent Emmys, which we talked about recently on the show with John Baystow, and, and the fact that uh, while the networks are the home for the Emmys, they are increasingly not the home for uh, shows uh, that are winning lots of Emmys, uh, because uh, cable and streaming has basically sort of moved into that. So this whole sort of fall TV season thing here uh, is, is in and of itself, I think, obviously becoming sort of a bygone kind of a thing, and, and that is the one thing that we may evolve away from more so, affiliates or no affiliates, but 
as we look at this here, guys, and we, we're, we've spent a decent amount of time talking about the macro level, which uh, I would sort of agree is, I think, where more interest is, as opposed to all the shows that are out there, which uh, there's a couple things here and there that people are finding of interest and are doing well. But looking more so at the micro level, I'll start with you, Simon. Is there anything that's really sort of catching your eye right now as far as anything that's noteworthy and or may stay on the scene for quite a while? Well, first of all, I want to talk about the Emmys for a second. I'm sure. on two levels. Number yeah. one, I think that the results this year were most surprising. Uh, Emmys in recent memory, Rick and Lloyd. If anyone were to say Fleabag was going to beat, not only beat, but the modern of Zizel in the key categories, all four of them, show, economy, actress, writing and directing, you have been laughed silly. You have been taken off the planet. And I think that was a major, major win for Phoebe Waller-Bridge to get all four of those Emmy wins. And uh, it was very surprising. Uh, kudos to her. Kudos also uh, that HBO continues to be the number one Emmy getter. Netflix has done a very good thing, although I thought the Wendy C. Escher won Best Mini Series. Uh, but Chernobyl was a really, really good show. The Mini Series category, by the way, was the toughest. You could pick Poppy Byrne on FX. You could pick Escape of Danimore on Showtime. By the way, Showtime has really stepped it up in the last year. They've, they've got the interest of wonderful new shows, and they've got some big new shows ahead, by the way, including uh, the video game Halo uh, as a series, and also they just picked up uh, the a series based on the best-selling novel, Golden Gas, which uh, I think will be a very, very exciting program, uh, given the versatility of, of those novels. As far as the show itself went, um, it was embarrassment. Uh, I have to, I don't know what John said uh, in your other segment with him, but uh, personally, uh, I've seen so many great award shows and really bad ones. This version of the Emmys was one of the most atrocious award show presentations I have ever seen. It was embarrassing to the TV industry, it was embarrassing to both the nominees and the winners, it was embarrassing to the audience. Uh, the fact that it lost 30% of the audience at home uh, really says a lot. Uh, it was a show that looked like amateur hour, that it was the segment, all segments were over the heads of people, and it wasn't one of the, maybe the best lineup of acceptance speeches in recent memory for any award program, this thing would have been a total nightmare. I can't believe Tom Mitchner, the, uh, one of the best executive producers of live television, was responsible for this. But somebody's head has got to roll, and the TV Academy, I think, really has to uh, have a soul searching about how they want to showcase an award show that is supposed to celebrate the medium. The fact that could even have a live orchestra with a live musical director who would have appropriate cues that when people want to accept uh, is, is inexcusable uh, for a major award show. And for Chernobyl, uh, which won a lot of awards, surprisingly, and, and well-deserved, by the way, too, for HBO, for those winners who walked to the song Looking Good was insensitive, to say the least. Uh, somebody has got to roll out the Emmys. Uh, I did a whole rant about this um, a week or so ago on Zombie Televised because well, I, I could not believe what was coming over that TV screen. Yeah, and I would agree with that, and, and I say this as somebody who has been amused on many, many occasions over the years on different uh, programs by Thomas Lennon, he's a talented guy, but some of the crap that he was taking for being the talking head, the faceless talking head for this thing, might have been a little bit of karma, because the Felicity Huffman thing just strikes me as lazy humor. I mean, to act like she's getting off scot-free when her career is ruined, she's less popular than Mussolini, I think the piling on of her was cowardly, to be honest with you. So, it might have been a little bit of karma as far as the way that his performance was received. 
uh, there. So uh, in, in turning to you, Lloyd, uh, any thoughts, whether it be either on the Emmys or the, the micro level of uh, TV shows well, here yeah, that are debuting? Talk a little bit about some of the new shows on broadcast television. Sure. Uh, we've got one tonight, I have to admit. There's a little bit of hometown pride here. Uh, Cal Penn and Sunnyside, uh, which I think is an interesting show. Didn't do well in the ratings its first weekend. That's surprising. NBC really hasn't done a lot. They haven't made Thursday night must-see TV agents, but this one is worth catching. Uh, gently talking about Queens of the World's Barroso. Uh, I've got to, again, have a little local pride on this, but it, it's a funny show. I mean, it's uh, Michael Schur is a, a pretty good showrunner. Uh, I hope that this one does get discovered. Uh, again, quick wit, Cal Penn's a guy who has always been known for smart humor, and the ensemble cast here is absolutely terrific. Simon, have you caught uh, Sunnyside yet? Did you see any... Uh I had a live, uh, I'll you, a big fan of Michael Schur. He won the Peabody Award this year for The Good Place, which is now in the final season on NBC. I hope a lot of people have not discovered that show in the four years it's been on the air. But uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's high time people do. It's, a, it's why I think one of the best series on broadcast television in terms of comedy in a long while. Uh, going back to the macro, uh, I, I've been fascinated by the fact that we are now seeing charter communications when the nation's largest cable operators become a programmer through Spectrum Originals. Yeah, I, I'm noticing the same thing, Simon. I, I, I just, it, it seemed very random when I started seeing these commercials, first for the Gabrielle Union series and now for Mad About You. I, I, I had no idea that this was happening until I started seeing the commercials. Yeah, uh, Charter has been developing this for the last two years. They had Catherine Park perform a major program in NBC to head this. They started with Eddie's fine, as you mentioned, the, uh, the crime series with uh, Gabriel Union and uh, Jessica Alba. A uh, disclaimer, we had the creators on, the sh on our show uh, back in May. It's done very, very well. They've renewed it for the second season. Uh, Union is working on a second program for, uh, for Spectrum. They also did an interesting uh, mini-series out of England called Curfew. And even did a Spanish language series, like Tucker. Uh, and the next talk is said is going to be the remake of Mad About You. They already have the reruns of all the NBC episodes. Playing now, they have been making a big deal about this here in New York around the country uh, through local promos on all the networks, broadcast and cable, and um, and it premieres on November 20th. I think it'll be one to watch. I think uh, what Charter is doing uh, is quite interesting in terms of finally uh, trying to tap the potential of video on demand uh, in terms of original format. Even though it's commercial free, uh, I think at some point Charter might run ads. Uh, in the programming, do it in some way, in, in a very inventive way. So keep your eye on the uh, Spectrum Originals. Uh, they also have a new show coming up called Paradise Laws. They're doing it with Paramount Network. They'll get the first window, Paramount gets the second. And I would say that the network, I did this story that'll be running uh, very soon in the village that I think you should watch out for is Paramount Network. Yellowstone, which is the series they introduced last year, produced by Taylor Sheridan, starring Kevin Cosner. Uh, it's become one of the top series on cable. They average between five and six million uh, viewers a, a week. And it has also turned out to be the beginning of the new idea for Power Myth. You're going to see Paramount Network do a set of original scripted shows that all have the same kind of quality. Very cinematic. They take you to very interesting places, whether it's historical, contemporary, ensemble cast, um, complex human characters and plots, and in some cases, patriarchs. Keep your eye on a new series coming out next year called 68 Whiskey from Imagine Television, directed by Ron Howard. Uh, it's about uh, it's mesh in Afghanistan, if you will. And then coming up also, uh, I think the winner is Coyote star Michael Chilton, the border agent who gets second thoughts about his job. He doesn't see things in black and white anymore, and it deals with the immigration crisis. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's being done by the show McLaren, 
one of the former directors of Game of Thrones and The Walking Dead, executive producer as well, highly regarded. I think that show could be a, a really, really special next year. Very interesting. I have to watch for that, and I agree with you about Yellowstone, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because that gives me a chance to promote that uh, I will very, very shortly have my Yellowstone Season 2 review coming up. I did a Season 1 review on the show, and uh, spoiler alert, I liked Season 2 better. I felt like it, it, it definitely moved along much better than Season 1 did. Uh, the one so note... Did, so, did, uh, so did a lot of viewers, Rick. Uh, the latest stats from Caroline and Nielsen is that uh, in every single age group, the audience went up, and went up substantially. And they are getting great, great replay. It also led to Paramount doing a, uh, a reality series called The Last Cowboy, supervised by Sheridan, uh, which also did very well as a follow-up, came out right after uh, at the Yellowstone. But yes, Yellowstone has really found its groove, and I think because of success, you will see Paramount Network do a lot more shows, not more modern day westerns, but you will see a lot more shows with that kind of formula. Like I said, complex characters, double cast, uh, unique uh, unique settings, whether it is an army medical unit in Afghanistan or the U.S. national border or the 1990s London nightlife with a show called Sexy Beast based on the movie. You're ready to see, I think, Paramount. I think 2020 will be Paramount Network year. Very interesting. And uh, again, uh, the, before we uh, wrap this up, the, the one thing that I want to get in here as well, the new Warner Media with an early hit on its hands here in the fall. The first head-to-head -head matchup here as uh, Pro Graps uh, returns to a major network to compete with WWE, TNT, from whence it was banned, March 26, 2001. It returns October 2, 2019, and thumps uh, the NXT show in the ratings. I believe it was uh, 1.4 million to 800,000, I think, on the viewership there. So... Uh, I, I, of course, checked out both. Uh, they were both very good shows, but uh, congratulations to AEW Dynamite for its big night one victory. And uh, again, uh, just a tremendous pleasure to get to talk about fall TV with both of you guys. It is always a pleasure to be able to do so. So, Simon uh, Applebaum. Ray, Ray, and Ray, before we go, yeah. uh, I want to set up the rest of it. Uh, uh, let's not forget also that we have Friday Smackdown. Yes, uh, on Fox. From USA to Fox. It'll be interesting to see how that takes off, whether Fox becomes a major... Some people are saying that Fox could become a major power Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night with college football, Sunday, of course, with NFL in the afternoon. Um, it's interesting how Fox, this year, is trying to become sort of the network before the weekend, the sports network before the weekend and during the weekend. They also, by the way, launched a new college football game going up against ESPN ABC. They now have a 1 o'clock pregame show on Saturday mornings. Um, it, and they really promote this very well. It'll be interesting to see how the combo of Third Night Football, which has gone off to a very good start, uh, Friday Night Smackdown, um, College Football on Saturday night, Big Ten, Pac-10, Pac-12, and then the uh, Sunday afternoon football, NFL football, how it all uh, takes off. And one more thing, another show which I, I think is going to be worth watching in early 2020, Snowpiercer. We've been waiting a long time for this show to get on the air. Uh, executive produced by Sam Maxson based on the hit movie. Uh, it was supposed to go on first uh, TNT, then it was taken off the CBS. Now, uh, early this week, it was moved back on TNT. It's got a great cast with like Jennifer Collins and Dean Diggs. Uh, I think the premise is very interesting. It's like the wagon train, uh, the futuristic wagon train, and if it works, uh, they've got two seasons to, to prove it. Uh, I think Snowpiercer is going to be the only one to watch for, uh, for TNT. I think it's going to show the kind of stuff that HBO Max is going to do uh, when they go off the ground.
Well, a very interesting clip and save there, uh, Simon, and we'll watch for that uh, in, in the time ahead. And you are absolutely right about SmackDown, that uh, it has now become the A show in WWE for the first time ever. In its first 20 years, it was always stuck behind Raw, but it is the priority now because of Fox and big network money. Thank you so much, Simon, for coming on here today. Lloyd Carroll, thank you so much as well, my friend. Well, pleasure to have you on. Been my pleasure, Rick. Really appreciate. All right, and uh, absolutely, our uh, our listeners should also continue to be checking out. Tomorrow will be televised, which uh, again, uh, Simon's outstanding podcast. You can check that out uh, as well. A pleasure always to have on Simon Applebaum and Lloyd Carroll. Thank you to both for being on again, and thank you everybody for checking out FDH Lounge Mini Episode Number Eleven Fifty Six. As we bring the show to a close, we would like to extend our deepest gratitude to NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, All Clear Channel Affiliates, TNT, TBS, USA, UPN, Deadspin.com, YouTube.com, YTMND.com, MySpace.com, various blogs, Fox News, CNN, CNBC, MSNBC, IamBoard.com, Billboard.com, Google.com, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN News, ESPN Classic, NBA TV, NFL Network, Sports Time Ohio. Athlon Magazine, Comedy Central, Cartoon Network, The Boomerang Channel, QVC, BET, The Spice Channel, Steno Notebooks, Manwich, Papermate Office Supplies, Waitresses, Strippers, Bartenders, Garbage Men, Janitors, Microwave Popcorn, The Writers of The Office, Scrubs, Entourage, My Name is Earl, Oz, Metalocalypse and the Boondocks, Aquafina, and The Periodic Table of Elements. 